Okay, so we're in Malachi. Um, so if you've got your Bibles, um, open them up to Malachi 2. We've talked about different animals and things. Here's, here's today's reading, um, Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 10. So in Malachi, there are these six little kind of um, conversations or challenges um, that God has with his people. Uh, some of them are longer than others. Last week's was quite a long one. This week's is quite a short one. Um, Malachi chapter 2, starting at verse 10. Did we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors by being unfaithful to one another? Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. And you ask why? It's because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the one God made you? You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth. The man who hates and divorces his wife says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. I think it's kind of quite a simple passage, really. And, um, it kind of explains itself in many ways. But let's just think it through um, a little bit. Okay, bear with me, I'm going to try it. Have we got rid of that thing? Just about. <coughs> We've been asking this question, um, what, what's the Lord saying to us? What's the Lord saying to us in, in this time? Our times are not always um, due to a particular sin uh, in your life. It's not always true that you go through hard times because um, there is some particular sin. But it is always a question that you should ask when times are hard. Um, and I think for most of us, times have been hard. Uh, I, I know one or two who really enjoy the lockdown, um, but I think they're probably in the minority. Um, so times are hard. Um, and when times are hard, you should always ask the question, what, what is the Lord saying to me through this? And that's why we're back in, in the book of Malachi. Um, this was a time when uh, God's people um, were kind of in neutral. They didn't have the courage to obey God wholeheartedly, and they didn't have the... Uh, their guts to abandon him uh, completely. Um, and so Malachi is calling the Lord's people back to, uh, back to a covenant relationship. God does this amazing thing. He, he says to us, um, I will be your God and you will be my people. But then there is an, an implication. Um, if God is going to be our God and we are going to be his people, then there is an implication that, that we will obey his commands and we will reflect his character. Um, and we see this 
all through Malachi, that God is reminding um, Judah of what he's done for them, of this covenant relationship that he has made with them and what their responsibility is. So he's shown that he's a loving God who chooses people um, to be his own. But they question the reality of his love. How have you loved us? And he says, of course, I loved you because I chose you. Um, you were as evil as your brother, um, but I chose you. He reminds them that he's the God who makes a way um, for sins to be covered. He's created this, uh, this system whereby the sacrifices will be accepted. Um, and actually they're accepted because they point to Jesus, but they don't know that yet. But they show contempt uh, for this system that God has created for them uh, by bringing roadkill um, to the altar, by bringing uh, horse sacrifices, by, by bringing um, their weak and their, their blind lambs to, to the altar. And today he, he starts by saying um, that he is the one God uh, and, uh, and Father who, who has made them a people. And they are to reflect this unity, uh, this oneness of God uh, by being one um, and to reflect it by being faithful um, to one another. But they're being unfaithful um, to each other and specifically uh, in, in this issue of marriage. So let's dig in. It will be quite brief, um, but let's look at it. Um, Judah has been unfaithful. That's the charge that uh, the Lord through Malachi is making to them. Uh, a detestable thing has been committed in uh, Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. A detestable thing has been done. Um, so uh, the people of Judah have been uh, marrying people from other countries. That's not the issue. But they're marrying, particularly the men, um, who are divorcing their wives uh, and, 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 marrying, uh, and marrying people who worship a different God. So it's not about racism. Um, there are plenty of examples in, in the Bible, uh, in the Old Testament, uh, and more, even more so in the New, uh, where people who were not Jews uh, were gathered into God's people. So Ruth was an example, um, and more contemporary to uh, Malachi, uh, when the, this new temple had been completed, the people celebrated a, a Passover, and it says the Israelites who returned from the exile ate it, together with all who separated themselves from the unclean practices of their Gentile neighbours in order to seek the Lord. So there were people there who, who weren't Jews. It's not, this is not racism. Um, it's about non-compromise with false religion. So the Lord had been very clear about this. In Deuteronomy, Moses, which is a long sermon from Moses before the people entered the Promised Land. Um, the Lord had said to them, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're entering to possess uh, and dries out before you many nations, uh, then you must destroy them totally, make no treaty with them, show them no mercy, do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons, for they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods, and the Lord's anger will burn against you and quickly destroy you. So Judah has a command from the Lord not to intermarry into other religions. But by doing so, They've 
profaned the covenant. Uh, profane is an interesting word, isn't it? Um, uh, profane means to make something dirty uh, or to call something unholy. And they've called this covenant, and the covenant is, is their relationship with God. They've called their relationship with God a dirty thing. They've broken faith with each other. Now, we get that twice. So when they enter into this relationship with the Lord, when we enter into a relationship with the Lord, in this covenant, it is a corporate thing. It is something we do together. And so when they uh, marry those of other religions, it's not simply a, a sin that this individual has committed uh, in isolation. It is a breaking of faith, not just with God, it is a breaking of faith uh, with the other, with the rest of God's people. It's no such thing as personal or private sin. Each sin that we do, uh, as they did, is a breaking faith um, with the rest of God's people. Because they are there and the rest of the church are, are trying, we're walking in holiness, or, uh, and, and to sin is to break faith with the people of God. And they've desecrated the sanctuary or the holiness of the Lord. It, it's, um, the, the word for, for sanctuary is, is very similar to the word for holiness. It's not clear what's going on here. Um, but they've desecrated the, the sanctuary the Lord loves, or they've desecrated the, um, the holiness of the Lord. What they've done, uh, God says, by marrying uh, people of other faiths or, or no faith, it's the same as them bringing a satanic offering um, into the sanctuary of God. Now Malachi says, may uh, the man who does this, do this be cut off um, from the people of God. I can't find it. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob, even though he brings an offering to God. So the person who, who does this invites being cut off from the Lord's people, even though he brings a sacrifice um, to the Lord. So as Christians, we don't believe that there is such a thing as an unforgivable sin apart from persistent unbelief. Um, but this sin of, of intermarriage um, invites a kind of cutting off um, from the Lord. It, it is the kind of sin um, that ultimately uh, can be the thin end of the wedge that, that ends up in unbelief. So that's the one thing they're doing. <coughs> Excuse me. They've been unfaithful. Um, they've broken faith with God, they've broken faith with each other uh, by marrying outside the faith. <coughs> Another thing you do, he says, they flood the altar with tears um, because it seems like the Lord's ignoring them. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favour on your offerings or accepts them with, with pleasure from your hand. And they ask, why? Why on earth is God ignoring me? Well, he, he's ignoring them because they're being unfaithful to their wives. They're divorcing their wives to, to find someone uh, more exotic, uh, maybe from another country, from another faith, or to find someone younger, giving up on the wife of their youth because the wife of their youth is maybe getting on a bit and they're divorcing somebody younger. <coughs> and 
And they forget that the Lord was witness to their marriage. And I think that's a helpful thought for us. If you think back to your wedding day, um, who were the witnesses? Can you remember? Who were the witnesses to your on your marriage uh, certificate? Uh, they, they signed their names down. Well, Malachi says to us that the Lord was there too. Um, and he is a, uh, has his invisible signature on your marriage certificate. He's the witness between you and, uh, uh, and the person you married. Marriage is like a covenant. This is, I think, the only time uh, in the Old Testament where, where it says this. Um, that, that marriage is, is a covenant. So the Lord makes a covenant with us. It, it's a pact, it's an agreement, it's binding. Uh, and marriage is, is a covenant, a bit like the one that the Lord uh, makes with us. And so the Lord says that, that he hates divorce because it's a kind of, divorce is a kind of unfaithfulness that, that cuts right into the uh, into the into marriage. Cuts obviously into marriage, but marriage is this picture of how the the Lord loves us uh, and makes a covenant with us, and so it cuts right into that picture uh, of who God is um, as a faithful um, covenant keeping God. And he says he hates um, violence. Um, The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one who should protect. Uh, you can translate this different ways. Um, I think, actually, it's interesting how NIV 2011 has tried to smooth over various things in this passage, which are clearer in NIV 1984, if you've still got one. Um, I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel, verse 16, and I hate a man's covering himself with violence, as well as with his garment. So the new NIV implies that, that to divorce is to do violence to someone. Well, that, that is true, isn't it? Uh, mentally. Um, but I think it would just take it more literally. The Lord uh, hates, hates divorce. We'll come back to this. And he hates, hates domestic violence. Hates people being violent to one another within the household. So the Lord makes husband and wife one. Has not the one God made you? And what does the one God seek? Godly offspring. Godly offspring. He's made you one. If you're a married couple, um, the Lord has made you uh, one flesh out of the two. Um, he was there when you got married. And something mystical, something strange, something amazing happened. Um, you became one flesh. And out of that oneness, um, God is seeking children who are, are brought up to know him. Found that concern in Deuteronomy uh, as well. The Lord wants, um, through godly, single-minded parenting partnership, he wants children um, to be brought up uh, in the Lord. And so twice he calls on the people to be on their guard, literally to guard their spirits. And do not be unfaithful, literally, to not break faith. So they are to carefully, <coughs> excuse me, carefully look at and look after their hearts uh, and see where they're going. 
And let's just apply this to, our, to ourselves uh, briefly. What is the Lord calling us to? He's the same God. He's called us into a covenant uh, relationship with him uh, as his people. So we're in a covenant relationship with, with one another. And because he is, he is one God uh, who made us and, and chose us uh, and brought to be together, together then, then we should be one. We should be unified. And there are some implications of this. We should be wholeheartedly against racism. I had a, an email in the week because I signed various petitions by email along the way um, to sign a petition um, about what has happened uh, in the States. And it's a horrible, horrible thing of racism. Not, I don't know whether it is my responsibility to sign petitions going on in the, in, in the States, um, but we shouldn't stand by. We shouldn't accept racism, uh, and, and certainly not in the church. We, we are the people who've been accepted by God and Jesus is drawing for himself a people out of all nations, um, and in Christ, Jew and Gentile are made one. We should be people who wholeheartedly stand against racism. We should insist that Christians marry Christians. Interesting passage in 1 Corinthians 7. Um, Paul says that a woman is bound to her husband as long as he lives, but if her husband dies, she is free to marry anyone she wishes, but um, he must belong to the Lord. So when you have the freedom, and obviously, if you have the freedom, you must marry in the Lord. And there's another passage in 2 Corinthians which says, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? What does fellowship, does light have with darkness? That's not, that's not simply about marriage, it's about more than marriage, but it's not about less than marriage. They'll be yoked together with unbelievers. To marry, and I recognise this is um, this is a delicate subject, and this it, it, it cuts uh, close to the mark for, for many folks in our church. To marry a non-Christian is to break faith, uh, to break faith with God, and it's to break faith with your brothers and sisters in Christ. We should hate divorce. Especially the divorce that's going on here in in Judah, that they're um, they're divorcing with the intent to marry um, outside the Lord. Hate divorce, but not hate the divorcee. So divorce is like this cluster bomb that uh, it goes off and, and and causes damage in in all kinds of directions. I don't think it's I don't think we find it um, hard to hard to hate um, like the Lord does but let's just be careful about how we, we, we talk about this there are biblical grounds for divorce uh, and they are primarily um, where unfaithfulness has already happened and I don't believe in the position we've taken as a church is, is, is that um, divorce ends a marriage so divorcees can get uh, remarried Need to be discerning about these things and see what's happened. Uh, discerning but not judgmental. Uh, and we should be constantly tender uh, to, to divorcees. We should hate domestic violence. I don't think that should need saying, but let's say it anyway. Um, we should support godly parenting. 
sometimes those who are trying hard to bring up their kids in the Lord are, are treated with humour, as if it's a funny thing, as if it's trying a bit too hard, as if it's taking life a bit too seriously. Well, it's not a joke. What God wants out of your marriage uh, in the Lord to a fellow Christian uh, is he wants godly kids. That's his own. So let's have courage. Let's have courage to uh, carry on trying to parent our kids. We all fail. Um, and uh, we're providing support in the, in the Raising Faith uh, course, even as we speak. Um, but let's pray for one another's kids. It's great to see all the kids in the videos. Maybe as you think about that, you could pray for each one of them um, to grow up knowing the Lord. Uh, and pray for their parents too. It was obviously a challenge even to get some of them to stand in the video. And we should guard ourselves in spirit. And in particular, I want to make a call. I want us to be alert to uh, mental unfaithfulness to your um, husband or your wife. And I want to read you some stuff. Uh, you can see this. Uh, by uh, John Benton, it's called Malachi, Losing Touch with the Living God. And he, he applies this in a variety of ways. And I want to read some of it too. I guess you can see the place that that's. Um, because I think he expresses it really well. Um, the general principle, God doesn't withhold his blessing from people out of mere whim or caprice. When God no longer appears to be listening to our prayers, he does this for a reason. Sometimes it's to teach us patience and persistence and to give us an opportunity to show how much we desire him and his blessing. More often, however, it's because there is sin in our lives which we are aware of but are unwilling to do anything about. God's answering our prayers does not depend on our being sinless. If this were the case, no one would have their prayers answered for none of us is perfect this side of heaven. However, God's hearing our prayers does depend on our being serious about the fight against sin in our lives. It's not the presence of sin, but the toleration of sin, which shuts down communication with heaven. Uh, Psalm 66, if I had cherished in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. But God has surely listened and heard my voice uh, in prayer. I find that really helpful. And he says again, if people are totally unconcerned to fight sin in their lives, um, then perhaps they have to Ask the most fundamental question, am I a Christian at all? But even a true Christian can fail to want to deal with sin properly in the way the Apostle John outlines. And if this is the case, he or she will lose that felt sense of fellowship with God uh, and his or her Christian life will become barren and dry. If Christians tolerate and cover up for their sins instead of coming out into the open with God, cutting the excuses, confessing and repenting, then the knowledge of the Spirit's presence is withdrawn from us. We become powerless in prayer and fruitless in service. That, that is the price tag of sin um, for the Christian. But specifically about um, faithfulness, uh, to your wife, husbands, uh, to your husbands, obviously wives, 
too, but I, I don't know whether it's a specifically a, a man thing. Um, he says, now in the, in the light of this matter of faithfulness in marriage, God says, guard yourself in your spirit and do not break faith with the wife of your youth. And then to underline that, he says again in the next verse, guard yourself in spirit and do not break faith. Thankfully, it is still comparatively rare for people from Bible-believing, gospel-preaching churches to fall into the sin of physically committing adultery. But the matter of the thought life, the life of the inner spirit, is much more of a problem. Guard yourself uh, in your spirit. And from this repeated injunction, we learn one clear lesson. It is this. A frequent cause of spiritual barrenness in a person is a thought life which violates his or her marriage. So it is that God calls upon us to guard our spirits. Let me remind you, the Lord has access to our thoughts. They're all read by him. Our thoughts might be hidden from men, and we're glad that they are, but they're not hidden at all from God. He quotes um, Psalm 39. But perhaps we ask, can it really be that God is all that concerned about what goes on in our heads? After all, nobody's immediately hurt by what we think. The answer is, again, that God takes the sins of our thought life very seriously indeed. Remember Jesus' words. You've heard that it was said, do not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out, throw it away. It's better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And he talks about uh, the time of Noah. The Lord saw how great men's wickedness on the earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. God is desperately concerned and extremely anchored by a sinful thought life. It should not surprise us to find Malachi warning us that a thought life which violates our marriage can cause God to withdraw his blessing from us. And then he says, it's not just adulterous thinking that can be involved here. Many marriages have a problem of, of bitterness. Many a woman marries with high hopes for the future, but perhaps the husband has not made such a success of his career as was initially expected. That dream house in that idyllic setting is not materialised and there is little hope that it ever will. So now there is blame and bitterness. Or the wife who deep down is breaking her marriage vows saying to herself that she could have had a much better life without him. She could have had her own career without the hassle of pregnancy and nappies and children. Even Christians can flirt with these thoughts and it is an avenue of thought which breaks the marriage covenant and brings about a withdrawing of God's fullness from our lives. I'm going to give you just one more. Let's be blunt. Church-going, respectable people can be a very strange breed. They're so respectable that even their fantasies must have an air of respectability. Aren't there some Christians who, in their extramarital fantasies, wishing to avoid the stigma of adultery, have considered the possibility of their partner dying, and in that fantasy have stood by the very grave side of that partner with the thought of now being free to move on their way, free to go to that other woman or that other man? How do you think such thoughts appear in the sight of a holy God? Don't be surprised that he equates such thoughts with the worst violence. Don't be surprised that your spiritual life is...
to the low ebb if you're happy to entertain such thoughts. With such thoughts in your mind, it's only of God's enormous grace that you have any spiritual life at all. It's time for repentance. So that in mind, let's just, uh, let me just recap the Thomas Brooks and then we'll sum up um, and then we'll pray. It's Thomas Brooks writing in the plague of 1665, how do you spot what your sin is? What does conscience say? Which sin would you spare if you had the choice? Maybe, maybe this is it, stuff that we've talked about. Which sin most destroys your confidence in approaching God? Uh, and does the affliction that's the sin, those things we talked about the last few weeks? Two more uh, for today. Are you being treated in ways in which you've treated others? Sometimes um, the hardship that comes to us, um, God allows it um, in his grace to be a pointer um, to the things that, that, that we get wrong. And here I think a really, uh, um, really discerning one. Which sin do you least like hearing preaching on? Chances are that's the thing um, that's in your heart. To break faith with your husband or your wife, even mentally, is to break faith with the Lord. And is to break faith with the Lord's people. Don't break faith. God, your spirit. Let me pray for a second. Oh, Father God, we confess um, that as human beings, even though we're Christians, um, we are so good at um, deceiving ourselves. And that we want to guard our spirits, we want to guard our hearts. And we ask you to bring uh, your powerful but, but merciful conviction into our lives. Let me ask you, Grace, to, to, to root out what is unfaithful in our thinking. We ask for grace for each and every marriage represented here. Lord, that it might be honest and open and uh, godly. Pray for every single person represented here, Lord, just to help them too to be pure in, in thought. Whether singleness is, is a blessing or for this moment appears like a curse. Have mercy on us all, Lord, uh, for our thought lives. And we pray, Father God, you lay on our hearts that uh, to, to sin, especially in this kind of way, is it, not simply a sin against husband or wife. It's to break faith with the living God and it's to break faith with the covenanted people of God. We ask for your mercy and we ask for your help. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.